Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the show that tells the story of diverse leaders who found belonging in our industry, so you can too. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In this episode, I sit down with Malin Mayhir, CEO and founder of Yield Street. You've probably heard of them. They're the top alternative investing platform for retail investors, bridging the gap between everyday investors and access to lucrative asset classes like real estate and art. In this episode, we discuss why Malin founded Yield Street after a bad experience with a traditional financial advisor at a big bank, remembering to be grateful for the first person to ever believe in you as a founder and write that first check, and what the future holds for this fintech company that is completely crushing it when it comes to product, content, and brand awareness. I hope you enjoy. Malin May here. I am so excited for you to be on the show. It is a long time coming. We have partnerships together. You're sponsoring Fintech is Femme. And yeah, I'm just so grateful for all the work that What the Fintech and Yield Street has done together. Thank you, Nicole. I'm always excited to chat with you on, on any topic, as you know. So excited to be here. Awesome. Well, this is Humans of Fintech the revamped season two of the podcast. And so I want to start by talking about you. Your background has a huge influence on your career. I've had the pleasure of hearing this story myself kind of a while ago when we had first met back in uh, my old reporter days. But your motivation to start Yale Street, there really is a story there. And it starts with you coming to the U.S. as an immigrant student. You had a poor experience with a financial advisor, right? That's right. And I think it was like you they they stuck you in the old 6040 portfolio and you were I remember you saying like and I was left holding the bag. I mean, will you tell us a little bit about that moment I guess and how it sparked Yield Streets? Yeah, absolutely, uh, Nicole. So I think listen, a uh, lot of us will remember where we were after the global financial crisis. This was 2009, my portfolio was down 50%. And uh, for me, it was uh, having the conversation with my financial advisor to say, hey, what is it that I can do to invest outside the stock market? And, uh, you know, obviously being in New York, you have friends in hedge funds, private equity funds. My wife was a venture capitalist at the time. And so I asked him, can I invest in uh, some of these funds that can help me just diversify from 60-40, as you said, and be away from the gyrations of the stock market? And Nicole, here we are, May 10th. Last three, four months have been crazy, up and down, so much volatility. And everybody, every single day, we're getting heart attacks with Dow dropping 500. And NASDAQ has dropped, what, 2,000 points, 2,500 points. And so that was exactly the situation at the end of global financial crisis. And guess what his answer was to me? He said, Milan, I'm your wealth manager but unfortunately, you don't have any wealth to invest in those private equity funds and to invest outside the stock market. And you can imagine how shocking that would be for a person who was, you know, reasonably successful, professional executive and entrepreneur. My previous company at the time was four, five hundred people. And I said, wow, this is something really screwed up about Wall Street being so clubby and reserving the best investments like private equity venture for the ultra wealthy and for institutions. And so that was my first brush with like, wow, this industry really needs to open up. Access really needs to open up. And that got stuck in my mind as I was building my previous company for the next several years. 
till I actually, you know, started Yield Street almost five or six years later after the global financial crisis. So that was kind of how my intro to truly evaluating what fintech and wealth tech would, would mean for me in my life and for the broader community, like my friends and family, and then the broader set of uh, consumers that would want access to such products. And I love that you mentioned access. I really love that word more than maybe some of the other buzzier words uh, that that are out there. And I think access is actually almost a more like positive term than saying things like maybe like diversity or, or that type of thing. But you know, you, you kind of came to that conclusion that despite my successes, like some financial advisor was like, you don't have enough wealth or, and that really does create this income and opportunity gap. So that's what you kind of went out to solve. But will you take us back to the moment that made you think fintech, like fintech is the answer here. Most of my guests don't like dream of getting into fintech or um, always uh, expect that this is going to be the path of them. And then, you know, something happens and they realize, hey, this is the answer. So what was that moment for you? It wasn't one moment. So after that experience, which was in 2009, I started doing some real estate investments on my side, just through my personal account. And uh, there were funny stories that were built along the way. So, you know, listen, not to be so cliched, but, you know, as you know, Indians do a lot of real estate, whether it is hotels, motels, gas stations, like, you know, they have a big network where uh, people have invested money and have become very successful in the last 30, 40 years. So, you know, 2011, 2012, I would be like middle of uh, Pennsylvania in Harrisburg on a weekend with my wife looking at a day's end to be part of that investment group that would invest in that motel. You know, great cash on cash returns. And we would discuss like, wow, what are we doing here in like middle of nowhere? Like there has to be a better way to get access to this type of investments versus like spending your weekend and like then relying on some sponsor or some operator that you think can, you know, return your money. So, you know, like those were the types of experiences that basically said tech and data has to solve it. By the way, in parallel around that time, regulation changed. So Jobs Act opened access to far more investors than previously were allowed. And then companies like Betterment and uh, Lending Club and Prosper really started, you know, opening up access using technology. And so that was like kind of a catalyst moment. So when I was, you know, leaving my previous company, I said, hey, how can I take my problem and uh, then broadly marry with this big wealth tech gap that we have where people don't have access outside the stock market and layer technology and data, which I had done throughout my career to create a platform. And so, you know, that was kind of my entryway into like fintech is going to really change how people think and act and behave and access financial services products. And if you think about that bet, it has really come true all the way during the pandemic where retail investors said, hey, we want the seat at the table. So whether it was uh, they adopting apps like Robinhood or they, you know, shorting stocks like AMC or they jumping on the crypto bandwagon. Yeah, that story is awesome. And you're also sitting at such an important time with the generational wealth transfer, right? The cultural shift of... 60-40 is boring, RIP, and <laughs> stocks and bonds are all right, but boring. And people are so interested in investing, being fun, being a part of their like 
daily lives, it being it's a culture thing. And I think that's what, you know, I'm so attracted to, to Yield Street and, and working with you guys because you um, perfectly marry the two and say, hey, like you, this is culturally relevant. You can do this in a way that is accessible for all and you can have high yield and high returns and, and all that good stuff. And it doesn't have to make anyone lose. I think that's like what gets lost sometimes is like, oh, well, if we give everyone access to something, then somewhere along the way, costs are too high or, you know, the technology is too costly or whatever it is. And so I love that you were able to kind of find your way around that. So what are the big changes that have happened in the last few years, if you think about it? One is consumer behavior. Mobile has completely changed how we interact with our lives. And, you know, you could find love, you could book a hotel, yeah. or, you know, you could hail a ride, all from the convenience of your fingertips. But in financial services, the change has been there, but not to the way where it could simplify our life, reduce the income and opportunity gap you're talking about. So financial services mostly spend time going from analog to digital in the last like 15 years or so. And only in the last two or three years or four years, it's really kind of accelerating with fintech being core and center part of various facets of your life. And so you're absolutely right. I think for us, it was much more around consumer behavior change, you you know, touched upon the, the massive wealth transfer. So there's going to be almost $60 trillion of wealth transfer from baby boomers to generation XYZ. So people who are between 20 to 55 are going to inherit $60 million of wealth from their parents. And they are not going to use the same financial advisors, the offline technology, the donuts, breakfast meetings to invest that money. They're going to be really adopting apps, which they already started to do, and fintech, and they basically want the seat at the table. They want to get educated. That is why the great work that you do, spreading the word around financial services can't be so scary. And so they want to get educated. They want transparency. They want information at their fingertips and want to be able to take control of their financial life. And that's what platforms like Yield Street are helping them do. That's why we have about 400,000 consumers that have invested close to $3 billion through the platform in that same manner where we don't have financial advisors calling them and trying to sell them products. Consumers come to us. We have the responsibility to ensure that they have the right type of setup, education, to uh, you know uh, really understand what options they have and then to take action. So in some ways, we believe that we are creating that turning point in their life as far as wealth is concerned. And we feel that everybody should have that opportunity. Even when you talk about it, it feels like you almost like embody the audience, right? You embody that user base. You you had the experience and you built something to almost solve like your problem, but then ensure that more people don't face that problem. And I love that you kind of found your, your sense of belonging in the entrepreneurial world in fintech. And I think that's what a ton of entrepreneurs are, are facing right now and why we're feeling more of that fintech boom and all of the money pouring in and, and more companies popping up. So was there anyone in particular who maybe helped you feel like you could find a sense of belonging in the fintech space? That is sometimes uh, so important because a lot of us get afraid, right? Uh, mm -hmm. That we don't want to enter a new industry, a new area. 
I would always encourage people uh, to really be open-minded, especially in today's world. So what I said about education for our consumers, we as professional also open up and learn new skills every time. You were at a very established uh, financial services website and newsletter, and I was very excited when you said, hey, I want to like do something totally different, launch this podcast. And so we are always learning that, right, Nicole? And I'm so happy for you that the success that you had in a short six months time is is incredible. So for me, like, listen, it was so many people, including Expansion Venture Capital, which was the first kind of seed fund that wrote the first check into Yield Street. I had met them actually through my wife and really connected with Joe and Ryan at Expansion Venture Capital. And they never said that, hey, man, you are an ad tech founder. I know you built a successful business, but you cannot do a fintech. They said, oh, it's amazing. They connected me to my co-founder, Michael Weiss, who was actually from the financial services hedge fund world. And he said, he did not say that, hey, Milin, you can't do this. He said, less, wow, we both can do this together where I can bring that expertise of financial services investing and you build the expertise of marketing, brand, operations, tech, right? Mm -hmm. And then from there on, you know, people like Greycroft and Soros, you know, who are very established VC funds and and private equity hedge funds, they embrace me. And so like those are the few people, but then broadly, like then you obviously have to earn their respect and trust by doing and delivering on what you are promising them to do. But people will always be there to support you. You have to obviously take the initiative and then, uh, you know, execute on on the things that you're promising them so that, you know, they they can build that trust with you. I mean, what a story of like those personal connections. We are in a place now where post-pandemic, if you will, the ideology that your like business network and your personal network are separate is not a thing anymore. People are completely realizing that it is all in one. Like a personal connection is able to be this um, beautiful business connection. And that is something that, you know, was able to kind of happen for you. I love hearing the story of like, you'll always kind of remember the person and the company that wrote like the first check. And maybe I am feeling that same way about Yield Street a bit because you guys were the first ones to, you know, kind of show a sense of like belief in what I'm doing with what the FinTech and that's awesome. We really like the uh, the acronym WTF. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You see that? I got such a stamp of approval by Malin yeah. Mayhear and, and uh, Yield Street, which is really exciting. So thank you. I mean, I came up with it myself. And I'd be curious, though, you shared a bunch of different pieces of advice just then. And with a, a lot of it being around, like, not being afraid and not being kind of scared, I guess, to take, like, that leap of faith or take a a risk. And I'm sure I've been called like fearless or like a risk taker, (laughs) given what I do. I'm sure you've maybe been called that as well. So what is like that one piece of advice that you would give listeners who are feeling like outsiders and, you know, want to find a sense of belonging, whether it is in fintech or, you know, another area? Seize the day, my friend. That's what I say. Don't worry about what ifs. Every single day, we have what-ifs in our life. Listen, you have to be smart because all of us have responsibilities at various phases of life that are neither going to go away or disappear. You're never going to have this perfect moment where you want to either do something new, whether it's starting a company, changing a job, or anything else you want to pursue, even you know personally. And so the question really is, 
you have to just jump in and do it and you know you have to be a little bit uh, balanced in terms of like what you want to do and when you want to do it but uh, if you have the passion the world will be there that will co- you know collaborate and come together as i just said to make it happen and so i think it's uh, it's important for people to uh, to really understand that uh, at the most what will happen it will not work so what you took a calculated bet a risk you know and uh, things sometimes work sometimes they don't work like for me playing golf you know it's on my spring to do list for last 15 years but <laughs> you know <laughs> i just don't get the time and i have lots of excuses that why i can't get out but you know here we are you know i'm still a bad golfer so uh, <laughs> that's me with playing guitar i bought a guitar last summer it's already this it's about to be summer again and um i i you know i know four chords and i've been working on it but i've been chipping away at it whenever i can get the chance and that kind of lends me to thinking about like ways that you do keep yourself balance cuz you are the founder and CEO of Yield Street you guys are doing a ton uh you are a pretty fearless leader and you know you you guys are jumping in with the content and so much just like amazing first of all the merch i really want to get my hands on some merch and <laughs> which i'm going to do when i get into your office and um even just hitting the ground running you know i feel like you guys are everywhere which i always think is like a compliment i love when people tell me i'm everywhere <laughs> that's how i feel about you guys you know you're you're at crypto bahamas you're sponsoring nonprofit events to help you know with with health causes and and that type of thing so what's i guess the way that you keep balance in all of the enjoyable chaos if you will <laughs> that that is life and and what you're working on Yeah listen I think uh, Nikhil it's very important to give a shout out to Team Yield Street we are a, a passionate fearless group of 225 people that are really kind of making some of those things happen and so whether it was aid for Ukraine where we raised over $120,000 by just putting uh, and making a commitment on our website where investors could come and invest in that and so from that to all the other things that you said with regards to uh, the type of investment products that we are launching and bringing to the to the platform the team has uh, been incredible they work extremely hard to really make yield street what it is so i would i would start with that and then listen i think um, every person has uh, his or hers kind of balance and ecosystem that that they like to build and uh, for some people it's just pursuing their passions uh, you know outside of work so i think it is very important where you are running 100 miles per hour to figure out what those hooks are and for me it is just generally revolving around meditation running uh, spending time with family so you have to have fun along the way right otherwise you're going to be so stressed because there's always that one extra thing that you have to do so i have i try to find you know at least some habits that i can form and keep them though it's always very hard because you're always making trade offs so i try to do that to keep myself like healthy energetic and then you know always bake in fun because you know that kind of keeps you grounded and things like that and like consciously every day you have to do something that is like you know that is fun that you love and you know it could be related sometimes to work so for me i am a very creative person so if i'm talking about new marketing ideas or campaigns i'm like super duper excited right and like that could be part of fun other thing could be just i'm meeting uh, some of my uh, two high school friends uh, this evening and uh, 
you know, I had a corporate event and I could have gone there and represented Yield Street. And like, you know, that's the trade-off that I'm I'm kind of making is like, you know, hanging out with uh, two of them for a, for a drink later tonight. And so Aww. I think that's uh, that's very important for people to find that balance. I feel that all the time when you're building something, especially something, you know, new and you really want to get out there. And I love that you kind of mentioned a, a situation even of tonight, right? Where you've made the decision, you don't know, no, I'm going to make time for you know, these people in my life and, and time for myself a little bit, but that's, you know, people struggle with that. That's hard. I get mass amounts of FOMO. And so I do also have to like actively tell myself, okay, no, I'm going to, I'm not going to go to that happy hour tonight, or I'm going to stay home tonight, or I'm going to relax. or I'm going to take a morning to not wake up early and just work overtime and then said, go to hot yoga and that kind of thing. And that, but it's, it's, it's a hard balance. And I think you know, the listeners of this podcast are going to resonate with that and feel less. You know, I love I love the show because it's all about helping people feel less isolated. And that's the message is like, look, we all are strapped. <laughs> We're all working so hard. We're all like doing our best to keep up. So you just have to like really focus on yourself when it comes to like entrepreneurship, just given so much of your of your experience there. What is maybe your secret sauce for you that that has been? So listen, I think the short answer uh, is really um, what I have on my LinkedIn profile, right? Which is vision without execution is hallucination. And uh, I, th- I think I think uh, Thomas Edison said that, but I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but Nicole, I think at the end of the day, a lot of, lot of us have great ideas, including you know, are sometimes personal ambitions of like learning golf. But if you do not spend the right amount of time and get the right amount of training, you're not going to get good at it. And that is so true of whether you're working in a professional job or you're an entrepreneur. And so for me, it's always the balance of making sure that ideas can get translated into execution that is reinforcing your product market fit every step of the way. And so product market fit is also very different at different stages because your product market fit and business model evolves as the time goes by. So for me, like that's one piece of advice. And what I am a big fan of, you know, no offense to Eric Ries, it's not MVP, it's MEP. Okay, so it's not minimum viable product, but really most effective product that you can bring to the market at that specific time, right? And so it's not so much about like, let's get something out there, but get something out there that's going to be effective for what you're trying to achieve at that specific time in your company's life in your professional life and so i think those would be the two pieces of advice is that you have to be able to do things and prove out things and do them in a manner that's you know creating value in the ecosystem not just uh, something that you want to get out to the market fast yeah it almost has like a little bit more of like an introspective and like philosoph philosoph philosophic words are hard (laughs) viewpoint when you are building something i think that sometimes we can get especially in our fintech space we get way too like nerdy and transactional. And I think that's what's so cool about people like us who maybe aren't historically have a long history in the space, but are here now and and are helping maybe break the mold a little bit. So I like that you mentioned that and it being just more of this like more human, more humanity, thinking about the how do you bring the proper like human element to a space? And then it happened at the right time, which forces you, which means if you're taking that into consideration, you do have to be incredibly human centric in the product or you know offering or whatever that you're creating you know what i mean 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I'd be curious for you, fintech is really like the embodiment of that alternative version of financial services that is really meant to change the world, make the world a more equitable and and impactful and and better place. So if we want to be, as the industry, the change that we want to see, what changes in the fintech space do you want to see and how do you plan on or are currently embodying it? I think there's like two or three aspects within fintech that are so important for overall the industry to progress. One is regulatory. I think a lot of the times financial services move so slowly because regulation is so strict and it is really not kept up with times. And so I think, you know, obviously us as entrepreneurs, we have uh, the responsibility to educate the, the, the regulators and policymakers and bring them along, right? So one example is that, you know, from time to time we'll work with SEC and like, you know, we will show them how the product is going to look uh, on our website. And, you know, historically, lawyers would have never agreed to do that. But I think for them to contextualize like, hey, this is going to be the consumer experience. That's so important. So I think that is one uh, very important aspect of how do you push regulatory and policymakers to really see the changes in technology, especially in the last like decade or so uh, with regards to social media, consumer behavior change and what technologies can really do to deliver that experience and financial products and open access uh, to, to many people. I think that's very that's really very important. The other thing that is very important uh, is uh, the industry ecosystem. It is important to try new things. And I think we, for the first time after the dot-com boom, have this catalyst in blockchain and DeFi. And, and so the question really is that as an industry, how do we adopt that? How can we help prove use cases using this new technology? And for that, incumbents also have to be participatory in that ecosystem. So what's an example? We obviously, as you know, and as probably your audience know, Yieldstreet offers lots of interesting investment products across a bunch of different asset classes. And so imagine if you could uh, tokenize certain funds or uh, you know certain real estate investments with the intention of making the, the process easy, scalable, trustless. And so if you want to sell it in three months, is there a workflow where you could really transact extremely fast without having to go through a transfer agent or a custodian. Like, you know, what would the role of blockchain be in that type of a situation? What would be the role of blockchain in providing liquidity in the future to private markets, which historically has been one of the biggest reasons why there is no adoption of these type of investments because you can't sell them just like you can sell stocks and bonds. So like those are the two aspects that I feel that we need to see change and we have opportunity to to make them happen now. That's why, as you know, Nicole, I say, hey, we are entering the golden decade of fintech, 2020 to 2030. And uh, by the time, you know, in the next uh, eight or nine years, I think there's going to be an incredible uh, place to be in fintech because you're going to see so many exciting things that are happening. Earlier, we were speaking about Salt, Bahamas and, and you know, the conversation that were happening there. So it's going to be an incredible time to be in the industry. That really does, you know, kind of solidify that that positive future. I do like to be incredibly aspirational because who has time to be cynical? So um, and, and I, I love that you embody that. I like that Yield Street embodies that and really has kind of this mentality of putting that best foot forward 
And you provided like a really good action item. I think it can be challenging for leaders in the space to really like almost just like own it and say, you know what, it's on us. It's like, we need to work with the regulators. We need to do X, Y, and Z, or we need to get the message out there better. So yeah, it takes, you know, kind of more ownership of those responsibilities. And so we are embodying that, you're embodying that, and that is so amazing to see. And we hope that more leaders do the same. If there is one person in FinTech we should follow, who is positively shaping the future in all those ways that you mentioned, who would it be, who should we be paying attention to? So, well, I just got back from Salt Bahamas, the FTX crypto conference. I would say uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, who's the founder of FTX. It was super interesting to see him and actually just get to know him a little bit and, and, you know, read about him. One thing that struck me was he was so kind of down to earth, like Mm -hmm. guys who is like really trying to open up access and, and figure and and develop products that, uh, that are built on today's technology to open and make financial services a lot more frictionless. And, uh, for me, one thing was incredible. So he had obviously invited in, in one of the keynote sessions, uh, Tony Blair and Bill Clinton. And, uh, you know, here he is in shots, you know, interviewing one of the, the, the most popular U.S. presidents and, and the prime minister of UK and calling them guys. And for me, it was like, wow, like he, he's so natural. So he's making it like so effortless to say, hey, be who you are. And, you know, obviously he is now a very successful entrepreneur, so he can do it probably uh, much more than, you know, you and I can. But for me to just see him in shorts, calling two extremely senior politician guys and like, just like, well, you know, and famous people too, right? But, you know, it was very effortless. And so I think, listen, you know, we have to pay attention to, you know, these type of leaders because, you know, you know, if he continues to do what he is doing, he's perhaps the next kind of Jack Dorsey or Elon Musk or, somebody that's going to shape how we transact with financial services. So that's what I thought, you know, I should mention. That's a really good answer. It makes me think about, I love that the industry is getting more casual, is getting more, you know, even though someone like Bill Clinton, like that's a really big deal. I would probably be nervous interviewing him on a big stage in Crypto Bahamas myself. But, you know, to say things like to be wearing what makes you feel like you, to talk to someone in the way, regardless of their status, that makes, you know, them feel like a human, that makes them feel like you can connect with them on like a personal level. I recently watched an interview of like a musician who, and she was mentioning how she purposefully moves her, uh, her stage lower so that she is actually making more eye contact with her fans and her audience instead of like her being like above and it being this kind of like stare at an adoration thing. Instead, it's like, no, I am you and we are in this together and we're, we're looking at each other. And that's what that made me think of with kind of that connection on stage and being like, hey, I'm wearing my shorts and I'm the CEO of this big company and you're the former president and prime minister and but like, hey, guys, let's talk about crypto. So I think right. that's like what you're getting at. And I think if we could be like that more in the space, then, you know, we'll get more people interested. We'll get more people adopting crypto. We'll get more people seeing that financial services via fintech can be something that is for everyone and not so scary and not just 
bro-y or not just for rich people or not just this. And I think we're still at that place where we're working on that message and getting it across. <laughs> you're absolutely right, Nicole. I mean, listen, I think that's why your podcast is named so apt with with regards to humans of fintech. And, and we spoke a little bit about diversity. I was actually recently named as one of the diverse leaders in, in financial services by Cranes. And I think it's important to have that dialogue because I think it's important for us to to recognize that people want to be involved with this industry. They want to contribute. And, uh, you know, even if you think about, um, you know, Sam's interview, like they were talking about, besides financial services, very, very serious topics, including Ukraine and Russia and climate change and, and other important aspects that are important to our, our lives. And But to make us all feel very inclusive in that, you know, process is, is extremely important. So I think... Uh, to be honest with you, fintech industry is doing a lot of that already. Uh, in, in, in in New York, there are many avenues. I believe you have an event tomorrow. So I think that's going to be an exciting event. So I think uh, uh, congratulations to you too as well to kind of, you know, uh, bring, bring all of these things together. Thank you. Thank you. Well, all of it is heavily supported by our friends at Yieldstree and our our connection, right? Like our personal connection that we made um, back, you know, when I used to just like interview you and and for stories. And now we're here, you know, all this time later, which is just so cool. I, I love that we've, you know, maintained this connection and this partnership and such an amazing interview. I will ask my final question, which is just to tell us what we can expect from you and Yield Street next. Yeah. So listen, we have a, a very exciting 2022. I don't want to give away all the amazing things that are coming, but listen, I think I'll tell you a couple of things. One thing is we recently ventured into crypto. A lot mm-hmm. of our investors were asking about crypto. So what are we doing? We're developing investment products. So, you know, we launched Pantera Capital's early stage ICO token fund uh, in March. Uh, we then launched an actively managed top five digital currencies fund with Osprey Capital. Obviously, you know, we are going to start making purchases in that fund in, in May. Great time with all the all the price fluctuation and changes over the last uh, 30 days with the, with with the, everything on the on the BTC side. Uh, so that's those are the investment products we are developing. We are also launching Invest with Crypto. Uh, what that means is you would be able to take your Bitcoin from Coinbase or FTX, move it to Yield Street. We can convert it into fiat, and then you can invest in you know on Yield Street. So I think that whole aspect around how do we engage with crypto is going to be very exciting. We are going to develop that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big thing is robo advice for private markets. It doesn't really exist, right? So if you want to come in and say, hey, I have 10, 25, 50,000 to invest. Yes, I can get educated, learn about all the asset classes, different investment products, but can you help me automatically do that? And so we are developing something very interesting there that we are going to launch in the summer. So say, stay tuned for that. Never been done in um, in private markets and alternatives before. So that's, uh, that's going to be very, very exciting uh, coming later this summer. And then you're going to see some uh, new kind of brand refresh that's in the works. So stay tuned for that as well. Ooh, that is all very exciting. I'm like, Melinda out here trying to break news on my at the end of my podcast here, but uh, not almost, almost not quite. Um, no, thank you so much for for sharing all of that. I'm super excited. I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm stoked to see Yield Street just keep taking off for you guys to keep hitting the ground running for for all of the great work we're doing together to just help change the fintech space. And this is an amazing conversation, and I'm. 
everyone's going to enjoy listening to this. So thank you for being so open and honest and vulnerable on Humans of Fintech. Thank you, Nicole, for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. To hear our next story about another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too.